Welcome to Wear With Sepet. Each week, I chat to amazing graduates from a range of backgrounds to help young professionals like yourselves take the guesswork out of making those all-important decisions at the beginning of your careers. To keep up to date with our episodes, you can follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn. And to find my episode reflections and find more resources, you can also check out our website at wherewithsep.com. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're joined by Jeffrey, uh, or known as Jeff, an associate product development manager at Like a Pet Food, which is an Aussie-based startup delivering human-grade meals to dog lovers all over the country. And this was a role he started actually not long ago, just the beginning of this year. Before this, he worked in the strategy and design team of Deloitte Digital for just under three years, where the majority of his work focused on customer strategy, but his team also did some work in service design, experience design, UX, and content design. Outside of his fascinating roles, Jeff co-founded and hosts a podcast of his own called As I Am, focused on inspiring and empowering people to explore Asian identities. Jeff graduated from the University of Melbourne's Bachelor of Arts, majoring in economics and Asian studies. During his time there, he was the president of Oak Tree University of Melbourne and also founded the Social Impact Association, whilst also being part of the Financial Management Association of Australia and the Fair Trade Steering Committee. During his time at uni, he also worked as an economist at the property, uh, a property planning development firm, Urbis, for almost two and a half years. And I don't even know how Jeff has time for anything outside of the illustrious list I've just mentioned above, but outside of work, he loves DJing, Muay Thai, fermenting things, and cooking, and sometimes eating out as well. We're so lucky to have you, Jeff, so welcome. Thanks for having me, mate. Good to be here. So the way we're going to do this is we're pretty much going to run this in like three sections um, that I want to really hear about. So the first section is like you being at uni and then applying um, for roles, um, you know, whether that be roles at uni or even roles uh, as a grad role. And then uh, the second part's going to be you working full time and then moving between the roles which you've had. And then the third part is pretty much going to be on your reflections um, on kind of your career so far. And then maybe some uh, even talking about your plans for the future. So yeah, that's awesome. Um, the first question I'd like to ask is always know, a little bit weird, a weird one, but I think we've already talked about this a tiny bit already. Um, what did you want to become as a kid? Oh, what did I want to become as a kid? I think the first job I remember wanting is to be a fireman. So mm-hmm. uh, one of my favorite cartoons as a kid was Fireman Sam. And mm-hmm. I always thought when I grow up, I want to be a fireman. And I think realistically when we, the, the career ambitions start to set in. Obviously, I'm Asian, so there was few careers I could gravitate towards. Um, mm. I was never good at science, so doctor was kind of off the board. Uh, mm-hmm. So something corporate was the, the logical thing. And for me, that was to be a lawyer. So uh, I started at university with the ambitions of doing the JD, becoming a lawyer, did a bit of work experience, and just absolutely hated it. Like I hated it so much. And I was like, I, I do not enjoy this whatsoever. And what am I going to do with my degree now? So, I afterwards I sort of like thought I'd probably just do something corporate, uh, economist, management consultants, but it's yeah, as a kid, I wanted to be a fireman. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's incredible because as a kid, like I also wanted to become a police officer, and I accept, wanted oh, to do exactly the same. As you. 
Yeah, I, I actually feel really bad because I made a pact with one of my friends from prep that I was going to become a police officer with him. But yeah, I don't even talk to him anymore. But yeah, it's the same thing. I, I remember doing like my first reading in commerce and I was like, there's no way I could do this for three years and more. So I can definitely feel your pain there. Um, and then, so then you went on to study, uh, like you said, like economics and you also studied Asian studies. Um, mm -hmm. So what made you pick like that major? Did you kind of have an idea of what you wanted to do even after uni? You mentioned that you wanted to do something corporate, but like, was that kind of just on a whim or did you kind of know what you wanted to do? Um, it's, it's a good question. And one thing I forgot to mention, and that was what we were talking about before, is there's a period of time where I wanted to be a chef. Um, mm. still holds true in my heart. I want to do that at some point, but that's mm -hmm. one part I forgot. Uh, how, how I decided on those majors, I think economics was more from utility perspective. I was like, it was going to give me some options. I enjoyed some subjects of it, but ultimately it was okay. Uh, Asian studies for me was sort of driven by this desire to understand uh, my background and the continent of Asia more. So mm. a bit of background, I went to quite a white high school. Um, and I think I really struggled with my identity as someone that was Asian, um, mm. I guess navigating a space that was predominantly white. And I think when you go to university, you meet lots of different people. You're not sort of in this bubble. Um, and I sort of had exposure to a lot of other people who were very much like more in tuned with their identity and were able to speak to it um, mm. in such like an eloquent way. And I think I was quite inspired by some of the people I met and some of my professors and I wanted to learn a bit more. So I pursued Asian studies that way. That one was more interest. And then economics was a bit more, I guess, pragmatic. That's the way I would describe yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. That's super interesting. I, I think like, um, with, with like, when you talk about like your identity as an Asian person, I'm, I'm really curious. So first of all, like what exactly do you mean by that? Like, um, and do you think like that's a problem, which is probably experienced by a, a lot of people? Cause now obviously there are, you know, a lot of Asian people like, um, who like myself probably don't think about that issue explicitly. Um, mm -hmm. like, do you, do, do you think that's a problem which like a lot of people face? Um, I think the transition from high school to university where you have this like identity crisis or you start to reflect on your lived experiences that is quite common but i wouldn't say that's mm. necessarily something that's unique to asian people it's probably something that's quite unique to a lot of people of color not to say that if you're not a person of color you don't have these experiences and reflections of identity but i think for us there's an act there's an extra layer on it right we have this cultural background of how we've grown up and the things that we've been exposed to that influence how we view the world. Um, and for us in Australia, that's predominantly something that's designed uh, by Westerners. Right. And I think mm. having that contrast can create some, I guess, struggle. Um, and for us, it's important to reflect on, you know, who we are, the, the places that we've come from, the places our family have come from, and ultimately to proud of that i think that's such an important <laughs> thing to understanding yourself and who you are is just to be proud and i think that comes from learning and that comes from having conversations with your friends with your family with people at you know higher education and uh, facilities so right it is i i don't i struggle to call it an issue like a problem or an issue i think it's just mm. a milestone 
that a lot of people of color tend to go through, particularly between that sort of high school university stage. Yeah. Um, I think one question I was actually going to ask this later on, but I, I might, just, might as well ask it now since we're talking about it. Um, like, how did you, I think like a lot of people, um, experience, like, like you said, right? Like a lot of like, my, even like not just minorities, but actually people who from like a lot of different backgrounds experience what you're talking about. I think the big thing is that like a lot of people just won't talk about it. And so like one thing I'm really curious about is like, especially as a university student, like I remember it being in my first year, like there was just a lot of things bombarding me. Um, you know, there's like so many things you need to think about. Like, how did you know that you, um, this was something that you actively wanted to kind of think about in the midst of like every, all the other responsibilities that you had, uh, especially in like your earlier time as a uni student? It's a good question. I think maybe I was lucky that I had the opportunity to do this through education. So mm. a lot of my classes, we would talk about exactly this topic and to hear it come from other people who had spent more time doing it. I, I started to learn the level of literacy and the level of reflection that was required to talk through it. And I think mm. seeing that really made me want to have conversations with myself and with other people at university. So one person, for example, is Isabella Lee, who's the co-founder of As I Am. Like we would talk about this all the time at university. So it's, I think, I personally think it's really important to, especially the older I get to really like have that time for yourself to understand your experiences and who you are. I think it, it's so mm. easy at university to get caught up in the hype of internships and career. And it's such a fun, daunting time of your life. Everyone's sort of chasing this common goal. And sometimes I think it is important to slow down a bit because I think the payoff comes a bit later on. Um, that's just my personal opinion. I think I'm not to say that I didn't get caught up in the hype of like career chasing and all that sort of stuff. Um, but mm. you know, upon reflection, I think it's something that even though I invested quite a bit of time in it, I wish I did more at university actually. Wow. Wow. Okay. Well, that, that, that's maybe something which our listeners can reflect on a little bit, especially if they're, I don't know, uh, earlier in the time at uni, but, um, that was, that, that was super interesting to hear about. Um, and then, so just kind of following up from that. So you did like a lot of stuff at uni, you know, you were not only part of like, you know, things which in all fairness, a lot of people are part of like, for example, university clubs, but you also founded your own club. Um, you, you know, you were part of a lot of different initiatives. Um, and so my question to you is like, how did you know about all this stuff? Or how did you come to know about this stuff at uni? Was it through like friends or did you just apply just because you really just wanted to take on any opportunity that you could get? Uh, and then also perhaps how was even managing all of that stuff at the same time? Cause it was no doubt a busy time. Hmm. Uh, I think uh, I've always really enjoyed meeting new people. Um, mm -hmm. I think one thing I did a lot of at uni was just like catch up with people for, for coffees, just people I met in class, um, or people I met through friends, just to understand like what they, they did and what their interests were. I think that's a habit that's really helped me in my personal and my professional career is always to be interested in people uh, and to always mm. give them the time of day. Uh, and through that has come so many of the opportunities that I've done at uni and, and after uni was talking with people. And you always, like, even if 
you meet somebody and you think, I don't really think I have anything in common with this person. You'll always be surprised if you just give them a little bit more time. So mm. I think things like FMAA, that was like a friend just dragged me into that, for example. Yeah. Um, with the founding my own club, that was meeting a lot of like-minded presidents from other sort of like social impact leading clubs. We were like, let's do this together. Uh, and then I guess with the fair trade steering committee, that was just, you know, hanging back and chatting to a professor at a time. And he was mm. the chair of that committee. So we sort of had a chat, we talked about our sort of common interests around like sustainability and he was like, come join this. So, so much of it kind of, I didn't intend to do, it's just sort of happened. Uh, but I think mm. the genesis of how a lot of these things happened was me just giving the time and catching up with people, not necessarily with the intent to like, let's do something that's, I don't know, to build our CDs or it was like an extracurricular. It was just, mm. let's hang out. And then you talk about your interests, your personal, your professional, and the conversation just naturally gets there, which I think was really good because it felt like I actually wanted to do these things. I wasn't forcing myself to in the hopes that it would, you know, advance my career a bit. Yeah. 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 And like, I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think like when you are generally interested in like, when you literally catch up with the person or someone with the genuine interest to just find out more about what they're interested in or because you're interested in them, I think that also like fosters far, far more meaningful relationships when your only purpose of catching up with like someone is to, you know, um, I like try to start something with them or mm -hmm. especially like I hear a lot of people in like a career context, like they catch up with people for the express purpose of, you know, I want to get an interview with your firm or something like that. I'm like, if you're genuinely interested in them and you foster like a, a real relationship with them, it doesn't really matter like what happens. You'll find something much more valuable than just, you know, um, one interview or something like that. Has, has that kind of been your experience? I've said I've never done that. I've never mm. caught up with someone with the, I guess, intent to try and progress an application or anything like that. It's always felt really, I always use the term sweaty. I don't know if that's still <laughs> around, but I, I hated networking events. I hated mm. this, just this like, uh, I guess fake way. I was trying to think of a word that was smarter than fake. Oh, performative. That's it. <laughs> what I was looking yeah. It's not super performative to like go up to someone at a networking event and just, oh, like, what are you doing today? Would love to catch with a coffee. I just, I just hated that, you know, yeah. that was one part of uni I really hated. And I, and I understand it's like, it's part of the grind, right? It's, you want to, you want to get a job, especially if you want to get a job at like someplace that's super elite, they kind of expect you to do that. But mm. I always hated it because it just felt so fake and mm -hmm. not genuine. And that's just who I am. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I think I can like also come across as like very, very transactional, which I think so is something which is kind of, yeah, 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 definitely. Um, awesome. And so then when you actually started getting towards, I know maybe the middle latter part of your degree, um, I'd imagine you started looking for roles, um, mm. and you had a role while you were in uni and you had a grad role after you left uni. Um, how did you know, like. You, I'd imagine in like uni, it was probably a little bit more so of like, you know, you got a role, you just did it. But then maybe after uni, you uh, had a little bit more of an awareness of what you actually wanted to do. And so how did you know that you'd kind of found the right role uh, or like, how did you know it was the time? 
for the first role or the or oh for, for both of them? I think they'll you'd probably make the decision a little bit different unless I'm wrong. Yeah, for sure. I think the first role at Urbis, I just wanted a part time job at uni. I think a piece of advice I got that was really good was internships are valuable, but like part time work experience even more so. Because mm. in an internship, you don't really have an opportunity to build a foundation skill set. I think now so, they're a bit longer, but I think mine was like four weeks. Actually, when I met you, mm. you were probably doing a four week one, right? Like realistically, you don't yeah. do much in four weeks. There's so many yeah. onboarding activities, there's orientation things. You've got all these events set up during the course of the internship. And the time you spend doing work is so minimal that you're not likely to build any like good skill sets. Um, mm. so someone told me actually the best way is actually to find a part-time job or a casual one. Mm. Uh, it doesn't matter that the job's not like at a super prestigious place, but if you can get really hands-on and build, you know, core skill sets, just like, for example, how to use Excel well, how to like build PowerPoints, even just like writing in a business mm. format or a business style. Like these skills take time to learn and you're not going to pick those up in an internship. So that was the driver for me picking my first role at Urbis. I'm really glad I did. Mm. I think property wasn't the most interesting thing for me. Um, I think I was saying to you before the call, I joined around the sort of tail end of the peak of the property market around 2017. So it was interesting mm. to be in the industry at that time, but not enough that I was willing to stay in that industry for a really long time, because ultimately I think I get bored really easily. I mean, yeah. I think towards the end, I'll sort of, I think I've had enough problems. Yeah. The grad job, um, I, I guess like I interned at, at Deloitte Digital as well. I sort of chose it. I think a, a big decision that I think a lot of people make when they join, um, like a big four or something like that is. There's always the in-house strategy team. So like your strategy ads and your Parthenons and stuff. And there's always mm. this like, I guess not all, um, big four have it, but like a digital sort of team. Yeah. And at the time I was making the choice monitor or Deloitte digital. And I chose Deloitte right. digital on the whim that I remember the thinking process so clear. It was like, I think tech is really important. I know nothing about it, but I think this is the way to go. Uh, mm. and so I went that way, chose it. And I think that was one of the best decisions I'd ever made personally. Um, yep. just because the working culture of Deloitte Digital is quite different from the rest of the firm. Uh, it's more into like a tech company. You sort of have the roots of Deloitte, but I think the culture itself is a lot more relaxed. Uh, it's mm. a lot more quote unquote progressive in terms of like adopting ways of working and right. the way that people celebrated one another, it wasn't like you have to be like everyone else to succeed. Yeah. Um, you don't have to just mimic your partners to succeed. It was sort of allowed me to further understand like, oh, there isn't this like archetype of what a successful um, consultant looks like what a successful person that goes into corporate looks like. There's so many of us and that difference should be celebrated. So I'm really glad mm. I made that decision.
Right, right. Um, and so when you say you like, um, you know, you, you kind of made that decision between monitor and digital in like the last minute, um, I'd imagine that you kind of, you know, with like tech specifically, for example, I'd imagine that you didn't really know that you wanted to do work in that space until you know, pretty last minute. But when you like, so let, let's like backtrack, like when you talk about, for example, you wanted to do law originally leaving high school. Um, and then at some point you probably discovered that you were more interested in corporate. And then maybe at some point you discovered that, oh, sorry, you were always, always interested in corporate. Maybe you decided you were more interested in like advisory work, for example. Like at what points did these happen and like what like um, instigated these uh, revelations in your mind? Mm. I think uh, you won't know until you try it. I think it's probably, okay. and I think that's uh, a, a bit of a mistake. I think that some people approach internships with and whenever we had interns, I was always tell them this and they would sort of be a little bit surprised is mm. yes, you are being tested during an internship but you are also testing the firm and the job. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that's not communicated as frequently as it should be because you don't know what it's like to, to, to work in a consulting firm. You, all you understand is, oh, it's prestigious. Oh, it's a cool job. Like I read yeah. about it online or something like that, or like a friend told me about it, but you yourself do not understand what that experience is like. So I think it's really valuable to go out and try as many things as possible. If I had not tried everything I'd tried, I would not know and I would not be where I am right now. So I think you really have to, at least for me, you just have to experience it to know whether it's right or wrong for you. Uh, because yeah. without that, you're just guessing, right? Yeah. And I think when you place that expectation on yourself that, oh, I've gotten this internship, um, I'm finally here. Like I have to enjoy this in my experience, mm. that's when people burn out. That's when people like have those midlife crises. That's when people mm. have these super late realizations that like, oh shit, I actually hate this. Um, yeah. they're halfway through their career and not to say that that's a bad thing, but I think if you can preempt those realizations, when there's less risk involved, you don't have a mortgage, you don't have kids, for example, the better it is. Mm -hmm. So try, and I think, you know, me, I guess, stalking more uni students or whatever it may be, I feel like that mindset is starting to get there. I feel like people are trying a lot more things and exploring different career options that aren't just your traditional pathways. Um, mm -hmm. I think a lot of startups and a lot of big tech companies are offering more like grad roles, for example, so and internships. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really good because it lets you try a lot of different things. So try before you buy is always the advice. And, you know, you might've spent months applying for things and endless hours, but go into it always with an open mind and with the mindset that you are also testing this place and it's not right. Don't stay. It's not worth it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's a really good point because a lot of the time, and I think there's a lot of advice out there for people who. Um, I think like, you know, a, a very vocal, not even minority, but probably a lot of people who just like are struggling to get like, um, to, to, to go through like internship, um, applications, things like that. Um, I think like that's one side of like the spectrum, which is obviously, you know, they, they have a problem that needs to be fixed. But I think on the other side of the spectrum, I think you mentioned a really good point, which is that like people who 
are usually pretty high performing and they're getting a lot of these roles, they almost feel like the obligation that they should be like forced to like these roles, especially when they're like really prestigious and things like that. Um, and I think that's just a really, really awesome point because yeah, I think that um, it, it's okay to not like a role that's like prestigious. In fact, there's probably a pretty good chance that you, you, you don't. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, n- I never thought about it that way. Maybe that's something which, um, yeah, a p- like a few people who have interned in like a lot of different spaces who are listening can relate to or even think about. Anyway, um, let's, um, let's move on to the next section. So um, now I want to talk about you working full-time, which we've I mean, talked a little bit about uh, already. But you, um, so your first role wasn't full-time, I believe it was in Urbis, um, but you studied economics and then you worked in an economics team um, at a, like a property development firm. What was it like kind of, uh, I always like to ask this to like people who study economics, what was it like studying economics versus actually applying that uh, in a job? Um, yeah, like did, did, you, did you struggle with like any initial transition? Were you like shocked with, with, with um, the, the gap between uni and work? Uh, I think the biggest thing that uh, you realize is not much else is used beyond just like concepts of demand and supply. I think we tend to learn some pretty, pretty theoretical things at university. And then when you actually go to apply it, it's, it's really just those foundation concepts like elasticity and demand and supply. I think beyond that, then it's like, I don't know how like applicable this is. This is obviously just from my experiences. And I'm sure if you went to like the RBA, for example, it could be a little bit different. But that was probably one thing that surprised me a bit was just the difference in what we learned and how we applied it. That's probably like the main thing that stood out. The math was also like nowhere near as hard. I think you just needed to like, that's like basic math. But I think logic is more important. Um, a lot of times when you're building models, it's more about the logic. <laughs> that sits behind it rather than the actual maths. The maths is never super hard. Again, this is my experience. I'm sure it's a lot different than other places. Yeah, that was probably the biggest thing that shocked me. Yeah. yeah. I think you would just uh, shock every single first year or second year economics paid to listening there probably going to change to something else. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I probably couldn't agree more. Um, that, that's cool. And so then what, what did the... Um, so like, what was the major, you said that like kind of, it was the tail end of like a few, um, I don't know, tailwinds in the industry. Uh, was that like the only reason why you didn't kind of like that role? Was there a reason why maybe you didn't want to stay in the economic space? Um, I thought it was just too, too, I guess, conceptual for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is sort of a theme that's, uh, that goes, you know, along my career and I think we can talk about it later but when you when you work at a place um that is centered on like economics you build so many forecast models and it's all Mm. just guesses like i think the moment you realize it's never going to be like perfectly correct and it to be honest it never should be to make decisions like it's it's better just provide this like guide guidepost for you but i think for me it was just like way too conceptual it's like doing this work giving advice to clients, mm. it's, it's never going to go this way. And that kind of, 
not bothered me, but at some point I was kind of like, what's the point? Like it just got a bit like, let's see the value in this anymore. And I think for a lot of people that truly love the property industry, they like that it's tangible that, you know, one day there's nothing here and the next day there's a hundred thousand people in all these buildings, right? I think they like that Mm. tangible aspect of it. But for me, that was too much. That was like (laughs) the conceptual nature of that wasn't super interesting to me. Um, Mm. and ultimately I wanted to move into something for me, that was a bit more tangible, uh, which is something weird to say because property is super tangible, but for me, what Mm. that meant was to like get in line with people like you and me who are customers. Um, and I think that transition into my next role worked out quite well. Okay. Okay. Really interesting. Um, yeah. Okay. And then, so you, you talked about, um, like, you know, moving into your next role, which was at Deloitte Digital. Um, can you just tell me like, what, what did the day-to-day look like? Like, what did you guys, um, actually do for your clients? Great. It's a great question. The, the way you freaked out <laughs> anyone that worked in consulting is just to ask them what they did for work. Dude, really good <laughs> the crisis. Uh, so day-to-day could be say you do stand up in the morning which is a, a meeting, like a short meeting with your team. Basically you just align on the tasks for the day. If there's any sort of blockers that you need someone to help out with, and it's just for transparency. It's just a good way to working thing. Throughout the day, there's usually a lot of meetings, whether that's with the client, whether you're doing customer interviews, whether you're meeting different people in the organization. And through that, mm-hmm. that's all, that's more about like information gathering. And then between that, you do like your analysis, whether that's in Excel, whether that's doing research. Um, and then it's just progressively throughout the day, you just like, everyone plans their day slightly differently. For me, I like to put all my meetings at the start and then the rest of the day I can like keep working. So you like, you just spend yeah. a lot of time in Excel and PowerPoint. That is just, <laughs> that is just reality. Like you go into consulting. That would be what a typical day would look like. And then depending on where you were in the project, you might be doing like presentations to clients. Um, you might be setting up workshops. Uh, you could be doing like internal working sessions where like you and your team just get together for a few hours and like work through a problem together. Mm. So that was usually like what most projects were like. Mm. And you said before that, like one of the things you like about like tech uh, well, your role so much is that like it was really pretty tech heavy um and so like what like what about that did you did you love so much compared to say i don't know i imagine you have some friends in monitor you know some friends at like the other strategy houses what about like your kind of specialization specifically did you like so much um i think the thing i actually liked uh, the most was the fact that we were always focused on customers um <laughs> And I think obviously now with the way that the world is moving, tech and customers so interlinked, right? Like everyone talks about digital transformation. I don't know if this is going to be a video, but like, um, but air quotes. And like literally all that means is just automating things, optimizing things, putting tech in to replace like contact centers, for example, to like make things more efficient. That's all it means. It's such a fancy word for just making things more efficient. Yeah. Uh, 
But I think the thing that's the most interesting is just the customer behavior that underpins the tech that's required or the change in process that's required or the change in company strategy that's mm. required. Because oftentimes that customer behavior is just so simple and so interesting to get to the heart of. Because one thing we talk about a lot um, and a concept that we used a lot was this idea of jobs to be done. And it was the idea right. of, it was the concept created by, I can't remember his name, it was a Harvard uh, business school, like marketing professor. And it's basically <laughs> saying a customer will, if you ask a customer whether they want something, a lot of the time they'll always say yes, right? You, you go up to someone and be like, hey, mm. do you want a purple drink bottle or like a green drink bottle? They're like, oh, I don't mind. They're like, both fine, right? And you create mm. those products. And they don't sell that well. The idea so is jobs to be done is like, what is the job that the customer is hiring your product to solve? Right? So the example mm. that the, the original example was, um, McDonald's, uh, saw this, like, I think it was like 40%, like 40% of their milkshake sales were between like mm. seven and nine in the morning. And they were like, what's going on? Like, do people, people just really like milkshakes around this time? So they put out all these new flavors, they put out discounts and stuff. Nothing was really changing. And I think that what they actually found out was people would, they did some customer interviews. People would buy milkshakes during this time in the morning, uh, because it was like a filling meal that they could consume using one hand whilst driving. Wow. <laughs> so the job to be done was not that they liked the milkshake was because it was a filling meal that they could consume with one hand. Right. So yeah. I think this is a concept that we used a lot when thinking about like what tech to like implement or, um, right. how you could design like an operating model to like best serve your customers. So it's like, ultimately what is your customer want? And for me, that is so interesting because it goes into mm -hmm. not just, you know, strategy and all that sort of stuff, but really like consumer psychology and consumer behavior, which is ultimately what I find most fascinating. Um, because like the vast majority of consumers out there are like quite simple minded, right? There's, and not to say that in a bad way, but it's like the way they approach <laughs> lives, the, the way they approach their lives is like so different from you as the person who is trying to make that change. And I think the yep. investigation to learning that for me is like the most exciting thing. Um, and it just came at the right time because now it's like every sort of like huge tech company in the world has cracked that in a lot of ways. Like mm. the biggest unicorns in the show, they've sold for a job to be done. Yeah. Um, that's why they're so successful. And I think that's why it's like a really interesting thing. So that, that was what made like my time at Deloitte Digital like quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds really, really cool. Cause I think a lot of people who go into, um, more traditional, like, um, advisory roles, I think like something which a lot of people are actually interested in is like, like you said, like things like consumer psychology, they study a little bit of things like behavioral economics at uni. And I think like, even for me, that was like super, super interesting. And like you said, you don't really look at that, especially, um, in like roles, like in, in traditional consulting. And I think the other point you mentioned was also like, uh, like, I think a lot of people are shocked when they move into like a tech consulting role 
or they move into like a role which is like consulting at like a tech consulting firm and like the tech that they're implementing is literally like 10 years old but it's just that like the because the company they're implementing for is like using something that's 30 years old it's still going to make them like a huge cost saving and i think that's something which a lot of people are pretty shocked by when they step into new roles um but anyway that sounds really really cool um yeah and, and then so you said that you moved so you didn't say this uh, i said this you worked in kind of a larger consultancy uh and then you moved into a startup what were the biggest changes there like like not only just the subject matter but you said for example that you know you moved from economics to um kind of a consulting type role um which was less conceptual um how did the work-life balance change everything like that yeah uh, i think the the first move I'll, I'll start there from urbis to Y digital i think mm. i had a huge head start um in the sense that i had already worked over two years more than mm. my peers uh and to reference the point i was making earlier that's really that's a huge benefit um mm. the responsibilities they'll give you on projects will just accelerate that much more um yeah. you will feel more confident you'll feel better adjusted at a much faster rate and those foundational skills like powerpoint and excel and writing you already have such a good grasp of that that it's just gonna it's gonna make your adjustment like much easier and how fast you move in your career uh work-life balance wasn't too bad i think it was pretty like project dependent i think sometimes you could finish at five Sometimes you'd finish at one in that night. It just, it really depended on the client and ultimately how well they scope the project. It's out of your control. You can't just use there for the ride. Um, all you can do is just look at corporate memes or like consulting memes and just, you know, know that other people are going through the same thing as you. Uh, and then from consulting to startup, I think the biggest thing that's uh, different, but also I understand this is sort of what happens when you start to make moves mid career. It's just that they they just expect you to know what to do um, mm. from the get go. Mm. I think when you're like a grad, you're quite sheltered, and they a lot of people take the time to invest in your learning as they should because you know nothing. Mm. Uh, but when yeah. you move laterally, then it just yeah, there's just like a go do it. Like we hired you for a job, uh, go do mm. it, which I personally really love because I just like to figure things out and be given the space to do so. But I can understand how that could be a bit jarring uh, mm. for some people. And I think when you move from such a large company to such a small company, uh, there's like not many people that do your job. Cause it's like when you're in consulting, there's like heaps of you, right? And a lot of yeah. you share similar skill sets. Uh, you know, I guess as you get more senior, you like develop other specialties and you like have industry specialization or whatever it may be. But like when you go to a startup, it's like sometimes you're the only person that does that role. Yeah. And so uh, you're kind of expected to know how to do it. Uh, so that, mm -hmm. was, that was a big change. I think my first week I was up in Sydney for orientation and... Mm -hmm. It was really chill. I was just doing my onboarding stuff. And then the next week it was like, all right, here's a million things that it was go do it. Uh, but I, I've, I've really enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed it. It's honestly, it's been, 
I think the best job I've had so far. Um, but that's mm. to say, I wouldn't have known it was the best job I've had so far without all my past experiences. Mm-hmm. Mm. Definitely. Okay. And maybe let's move on to the last section, um, uh, which is like pretty much your reflections. And I actually have one question, which is related to what you just said. So um, I think a lot of people, I mean, I'd imagine that if you're working at a pet food startup, that you really love pets. Um, and so like, I think a lot of people like myself included, like I would, I would consider like, uh, like a pet food, like almost like a dream company to work for, because like, they just, it's just that you get to like solve not only problems itself. And I think that's, that's interesting, right? Solving problems, no matter what the problem is solving is interesting. But the fact that you're doing it for a problem, which you love so much, um, which, you know, is not a luxury everyone has, um, like. Do you think that at the start of a career, I think a lot of people choose problems which are more general, right? Like uh, a lot of people who move into consulting probably are not the most passionate about, for example, like ops transformation. But then, um, but they do that because they know that they kind of gather relevant skills and then hopefully maybe five, maybe 10 years down the line, then they can do something that they really, really love, something that they think that mm -hmm. they could devote their career to. Do you think that's something which is worth doing? Because a lot of people will just say, um, especially a lot of people, in startups, they would say, okay, well, if you love a problem so much, right? If you, if you love pets so much, why don't you just go and work for a pet food company as opposed to spend three years in a more general world where you're solving problems you're less passionate about? Mm. It's a, it's a really good question. Uh, and mm. one that, yeah, depending on who you ask, is going to give you a different answer. So obviously I went down the former route. I did my three years, I got my skill set, and then I left, uh, for me, that was a really good move because what you, at least for me, what I wanted out of consulting was to know what I liked and what I didn't like. Um, and I kind of quickly found out I didn't really like much of all the industries that we worked in, uh, which in itself is really valuable. And I think worth mm. the investment that I put into it. Uh, I think if you are someone who just knows what they want i think it's mm. worth going straight in because then you get that joy straight away uh, joy is the wrong word i, I don't <laughs> want to make it sound like consulting it's it's a great set out of career i swear uh but you you get to like really pursue that passion from the get-go and we have people um at like who have done that and i really respect them for that right but mm. i think ultimately it does depend on like you are as an individual i think i mentioned earlier I get bored really easily. Um, and consulting was my way of trying to address that. I thought it was worth it. I mm. you get to, you get to learn how to solve lots of different problems. And I think as you experience different problems across different industries, you notice that there are common things. And I think mm. that cross industry experience ultimately makes you more well-rounded. That's my opinion. Uh, and then to take that and apply it to a problem space that you actually really care about is really good. So mm -hmm. I think there's, there's no right or wrong answer for it. Um, I think if you are someone who just like knows what they want, go for mm -hmm. it. It's like go straight into a startup or go straight into a company that has some sort of like industry specialization, go for it. Uh, but if mm -hmm. you're someone who's maybe a bit more like me, where you're not hundred percent sure, because there's ultimately no right and wrong answer, right? You could be 
super tra- like passionate about ops transformation. But if you started mm. in pet food, you'd be like, shit, I absolutely cooked that. Um, yeah. so that's what, that's what sort of, that's what consulting gives you. It gives you that opportunity to like try lots of different things. Um, but yeah, throughout that process, you're going to do some things that you really hate. That's just the, <laughs> that's just the reality of it. But at least, you know, mm. that's what I always tell, um, juniors was at least, you know, that is such a valuable insight for your life. Mm. Um, you'd rather run into it earlier in your career than later on. Mm. Mm. Definitely. And I think a lot of people ask the question, they say like, if you had known, like you would be, if you, if you like, like this particular career, like, would you have just skipped forward and like join? But I think the bigger question is like, how would you know something like that as a uni student with such little experience? Yeah. Like you cannot possibly interface with so many industries. Um, yeah. yeah awesome. And then, um, one other question, which I have, which is a little bit of a different note. Um, you know, you had a pretty busy job, uh, pretty busy jobs, in fact, and you know, most people see time after work as time to like wind down, um, chill, to sleep, right? Um, but you have been able to start like your own podcast uh, in the midst of, uh, you know, being in a full-time role and being able to maintain it really consistently. How have you been able to do that? And how have you been able to also maintain like um, work-life balance or honestly just like sanity in general? <laughs> Um, it's a good question. I actually, I actually get asked this a lot in my, in my interviews. Cause I think they sort of look at, um, the amount of things that I do and they're like, how, like, can you realistically balance this with your job? I've just always been interested in developing myself in all aspects of my life. Um, mm. not just the career aspect, cause I think the people I'm always the most interested in are the people who have do like really strange combinations of things. I mean, mm. strange isn't the right word, but they're just, they're like, just do lo- yeah, they just do lots of different things that you like never would picture them going together. And I find it so mm. interesting. And I always like, I always want to talk to them. It's like, how did you decide to do this here, that there, that there, like that doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think. The thing that I'm most drawn to about these individuals is they have this like really rich experience in life mm. um, through all the different hobbies and through all the different things that they do. And I, I always have this thing, if you want to do something, you'll make time for it. Uh, and so I just, I've always been really organized. So I plan my life quite rigorously. Like I will block out time mm. for lots of different things and it just naturally works. I think. Uh, Maybe I think I also just have a slightly higher pain tolerance than some other mm. people. Um, I, yeah, I don't really have too many secrets to share. I think, um, mm. I'm just always really interested in developing myself as a person, but in work and outside of work and to achieve mm. this, what I like to always think of as balance. Yeah. Um, I think the thing that I've always had an issue with when people talk about work-life balance is it's, it almost sounds like it's 50, 50. Uh, yep. but balance means different things to different people. And for me, balance is achieving all the things that I want to do in all aspects of my life. And in order to achieve mm. that balance, I'll make time for it. Um, work-life balance falls out of whack for me is when I like work way too much and can't do other things. 
which is kind yep. of like, I guess the essence of the definition, but that too much of work is like, yeah, a lot for me to not be able to do other things. And that's when I get unhappy. Right, right. Um, this might be a bit of a strange question, but when you talk about like doing all these things, you talk about, you know, always wanting to develop um, like yourself and you're always maybe not necessarily wanting to try something new, although it does sound like you try new things all the time and you have like an amazing set of hobbies. I'm really curious. Um, there are a lot of people who say that, you know, um, obviously like you should be satisfied with like the status quo. And I think that like there's a, at least in my case, like always wanting something more while it helps um, develop, like especially you personally, I think also can be a really easy route to you just not being satisfied with who you are right now and what you have. Have you ever found that that's been a problem for you or do you think you've been able to manage that in a particularly good way? Yeah, I've a hundred percent felt that. Uh, I think when, especially when you're younger, comparison is mm. maybe one of your biggest enemies looking at other people, oh, th this person's done X, Y, Z, that person's done whatever it may be. That really, that really gets to you. And I do find myself that at times when I just feel like I'm not doing enough. Um, mm -hmm. And it sounds really cheesy, but I think it's important to take a step back sometimes and to like reflect on what you've achieved so far. My one thing that really helps me was just therapy, just talking to people. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I think in the past, I'd always been someone who's just sort of like kept things myself and I'll just sort of work them out internally but me being able to just go on a rant with a therapist mm -hmm. in like an hour really mm -hmm. helps and they always like tend to ground you a bit so that's that's always been my advice is just to like talk to somebody like therapy is mm -hmm. not something that you go to when um something's wrong it's just a it can be a preventative thing just for like overall general mental health and well-being yeah. uh, it, it, I think for people like maybe you and me, and I'm sure a lot of the audience were just constantly seeking the next thing. It's a, it's a good, it's a good thing and a curse. I don't actually have an answer of how you mm. manage that. I think to be cognizant of the fact that you are like that as an individual is a good first step, but at the moment, I don't really have any ways to manage that. I think it's just really keeping tabs on yourself and making sure mm. that you're not expecting an unrealistic amount from yourself, like all the time. I think it's mm. good to push yourself. I think it's healthy to push yourself, but maybe not a hundred percent of the time. So unfortunately I don't have a smart answer for that one just yet. I'm still trying to work it out myself. Well, that, that was, that was a really, really good answer. I actually really liked that. Um, yeah, I, that is awesome to hear it. This is especially in the context of kind of. Um, all the stuff that you're doing that you, you still sound like really, really humble and, um, kind of grounded about all of it, which is fascinating. Uh, the one last question, I think we've been talking for a while now. So, um, I'd like to ask one last question, which is pretty much for anyone who's currently in university, you know, they might know what they want to do. They might not know what they want to do based on your experience. What would be your one tip to them? Um, when looking forwards toward their career and perhaps picking something to do. Good question. I would say meet new people. I think the power of the connection that you can make with other people is something that 
in some instances can be even more important than mm-hmm. I guess your like how good you are at your job sometimes, for better or for worse. I think it's also really important to I guess it's like two tips. Mm-hmm. To remember to continue to be yourself. Like I you see time and time again when someone's just trying to, you know, put on a facade of who they are. And I think it's really Mm. easy to see through that and it doesn't work in your favor. Like remember that whatever job you go into, you were chosen because of of who you are. And it's important to celebrate that difference. Like I'm a true believer in, we are starting to move away from like this corporate archetype that's dominated for the last, I don't know, however long. Yeah. And moving into an age where like difference is celebrated. So <laughs> take advantage of that. Like be yourself, like don't hide who it is you are. Cause I think you do your best work when you can bring your full self to work. Um, yeah. yeah, those are my two things. Like build your connections in a, the most genuine way. Like don't just meet people for the sake of meeting people. Like even if it's like you're super senior and you're meeting someone junior, but because you're genuinely interested in them, I think that is so valuable because essentially that person goes off and does something amazing and you want to work together in the future. Um, X, Y, Z. And just to be yourself. That sounds like so cheesy. I I understand that, like saying that out loud. But for me, I think being unapologetic, unapologetically (laughs) the way out to mouthful. Uh, has really, yeah. has really helped my career. And I think the more comfortable you are in yourself, the better you do your best work. So that's, that's why yeah. I appreciate it. Definitely. Those are two really good tips. And I know you said that the second one might sound cheesy, but I think, especially when you think about what kind of career you want to do, thinking about like what kind of place lets you be yourself, I think is also really important. Like it's not entirely yeah. your fault. Like if there's a place that's literally going to like, uh, lambast you for being yourself. Like, that's not your fault for not being yourself. You just don't want to get fired. Um, so I think that's like a really, really fantastic point and definitely something for our audience to reflect on. Um, yeah, really, really big thanks to you, Jeff, for your time. Uh, it was a super awesome discussion. And yeah, I'll chat to you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me on. This is fun. And that puts an end to our episode. Thanks so much for listening. A reminder to subscribe to our socials and share this podcast around if you found it helpful so we can help transform the graduate job hunt of as many students as possible. In the meantime, I'm sure you'll find it helpful to browse through our resources available on wherewithsep.com. I'll see you in the next episode.